Welcome to Erudite, the podcast, where we give undergraduate researchers a seat at the table. My name is Chris Boyd, mechanical engineering student and your host. Join me in meeting budding scientists across the nation to discuss their work, how they got there, and how you can do it too. Hi, I'm Emily. I graduated from RPI in uh, May of 2021, and I am now working as a bioinformatics tech at the University of Albany in the Berglund Lab. And I have been doing research in the Berglund Lab for the past two and a half years. I started my second semester of my freshman year, and I've been working in the lab ever since. I like the way that you phrased in your research description uh, why you got into research to begin with. This particular topic was myotonic dystrophy. Uh, so first, if you don't mind kind of explaining what that is, because I know I have a general understanding, but I think there's some people out there who probably have no idea <laughs> what it is. Yeah, definitely. So um, myotonic dystrophy, common form of adult onset muscular dystrophy, but it's probably a, a lesser known form of muscular dystrophy. There are two distinct types, um, DM1 and DM2. DM1 and DM2 are just caused by different expansions in different places, different repeat expansions in different places in the genome. And they're characterized by symptoms such as um, muscle wasting and muscle weakness, but it's also a multi-systemic disorder, which means it affects um, many different areas of the body. There's issues such as cataracts, there's heart defects, um, cardiac arrhythmias, there are reproductive issues. There are, of course, muscle issues. So as you can see, there's a wide variety of symptoms. Um, so you said that you actually had a family friend who had this had a particular disease that uh, this occurred in. And so I thought I just thought it was kind of cool because not a lot of people who go into research tend to have personal connections like at that level, especially um, with their specific research topic like most people are like oh I got into research because this is a topic I was interested in but I'll, I'll let you kind of like go into more of your story. Yeah, so um, um, a family friend of ours um, was diagnosed with congenital myotonic dystrophy shortly after birth um, so her mother was actually my teacher in kindergarten and first grades and we we're friends with them ever since so when she was born for several months they didn't really know what was wrong she had several of the characteristic symptoms of congenital myotonic dystrophy, such as breathing difficulties, club foot, just issues like that, which are known to be associated with myotonic, congenital myotonic dystrophy. However, because it's more of a rare disorder, it's not as easy to diagnose because not all doctors even really know what it is. So her started a foundation called the Promise to Cape Foundation um, to raise money for myotonic dystrophy research. Um, and so I was in, I believe, middle school at the time. Um, and so my siblings and I actually started doing lemonade stands to raise money for their foundation. So it just kind of started out as something small. And then um, eventually by high school, I became the president of the junior board of the foundation. And so I helped to organize fundraisers that anywhere from like elementary to high school age kids could do to raise money for the foundation. And then after um, leaving high school and going to college, I found out that there was actually a lab at UAlbany um, that was doing research on myotonic dystrophy. And so I was able to get in contact with Dr. Berglund and was able to start doing research in the lab since I knew that I wanted to um, do research on myotonic dystrophy. And that's pretty much why I decided to go into the field of biology. So 
That's a really, really cool story. And I think that's actually really cool that you guys even did lemonade stands in middle school. So it's like something you kind of carried out throughout your entire life. Uh, but going kind of more into your research, you obviously explained how you got the opportunity. Was this kind of something, this is just like something I personally want to know. Is this something more like age onset or was it like from specific diseases or maybe uh, natal conditions that infants were born with or just maybe things that kind of occurred during life? Like what exactly were you studying in terms of the myotonic dystrophy? Most of the research that I did um, earlier on in the lab was working with a graduate student who had engineered these synthetic RNA binding proteins because in myotonic dystrophy, these proteins called immunel proteins are sequestered by the repeats that occur in the RNA. And this sequestration of these immunel proteins prevents them from performing their normal duties in the cell. Um, they normally would function in multiple different aspects of RNA processing, um, such as regulating alternative splicing. And so this the graduate student I was working with was looking at whether synthetic RNA binding proteins could be engineered that could then be used to go in and displace the endogenous MBNL proteins that are um, being sequestered by these repeats. So the idea then is to then allow those endogenous MBNL proteins to perform their normal duties while the synthetic um, be able to bind to the repeats instead. The summer after my freshman year of college, I um, did a lot of testing with these proteins, working on one, like cloning them, just helping get yeah, little things like cloning, and then also testing the splicing um, abilities of some of these proteins. So basically, you're kind of working on it as like a general thing, like just solving or not solving, um, dealing with myotonic dystrophy and kind of the, I guess, a synthetic way to stop it yeah so like ideally you would use it as a therapeutic but obviously that's a long way off from that because you would have to deal with issues with the delivery of these synthetic proteins and whether there's off-target effects and that kind of stuff so it'd take a while to get to that point but that ideally would be the the main goal of it in down the line and so obviously with anyone who does any sort of like, whether it be medical or like biological work, I always like to ask what kind of training you guys have to go through. Because I know a lot of the times like the lab techs will always want you to have uh, specific training, just because like, especially if you're working with like a living cell or living organisms. So did you have to undergo any kind of stuff like that? Um, so I'd say all of my training was more of like your basic like molecular biology lab kind of training. Our, since our lab doesn't really deal with anything like infectious or any um, live animals or anything, I didn't have to go through any of that kind of training. But I had to go through training like, you know, just how to pipe it properly, how to clean up, you know, chemical spills, how to properly dispose of, you know, live cells, things like that. So learning like cell culture was a big thing too. Because, um, you know, there's a lot to proper technique in cell culture to make sure you're not getting any kind of contamination in your cells because that would ruin your entire experiment. Yeah, let's say that's most of the training that I went through, um, just like basic techniques and stuff that I use in the lab. Would you mind kind of going a little bit into the bioinformatics? Because I said I know you said that you were doing a little bit of research in that as well. Yes. Yeah, so currently, that's basically my all my research right now is um, bioinformatics based. So I've kind of stepped into that role now, and I really enjoyed it because I built the basics of these bioinformatics skills um, in some of the courses I took in undergrad. I took just like an intro computer science course. I took a biostatistics course, which taught me some of the basics of coding in R. And then also during my 
time doing undergrad research in the lab. I learned the two main pipelines that we use um, in the lab, which is an alternative splicing pipeline and a different gene expression pipeline. So basically, you go and you get your sequencing files, um, you align your sequencing files to the human genome, and then you can then go on to either use your read count files to look at changes in differential gene expression or your BAM files to look at changes in alternative splicing. So yeah, so I got to learn that during undergrad, and now I'm kind of just expanding on that and um, taking it into new projects. But right now, this summer, actually, I'm helping with teaching the summer bioinformatics program at UAlbany. So basically, we have anywhere from high school age people all the way up to postdocs. Um, we're just teaching them the basics of bioinformatics and um, walking them through the steps of performing their own project to look at their own data and um, perform some bioinformatics analyses of it. So just so I have like a clear understanding, can you kind of describe what bioinformatics is and, and what, I guess, area of topics that it would cover? Because I, I feel like it's probably a very general term in terms of what it means. Yes. So basically, bioinformatics is it's an interdisciplinary um, field, mainly the intersection of biology, computer science, and potentially um, mathematics. But really, it encompasses a whole bunch of disciplines even beyond those. And so basically, just is a way to analyze large biological data sets because with the increasing amount of data these days so you know it's becoming even faster and more inexpensive to sequence um, human genomes so with that increasing amount of data that's available in smaller amounts of time we have to be able to analyze that data efficiently and so bioinformatics basically is just taking all this data and extracting meaningful information from it to solve biological problems so it's basically like a biological calculator. <laughs> kind of. Okay. <yeah. laughs> like I'm so I'm Mackie back. I'm a mechanical engineer background for those who don't know the the uh, shortened version of it. Like anything in biology or like the medical field, it's very new to me. So that's why I always ask a lot of questions. But you talked a lot about uh sequencing the human genome. Again, another question. What exactly does that entail? <laughs> Cuz I'm not exactly I obviously I've heard it in like what different TV shows. They're like, oh yeah, we got like a DNA sequencer, and I'm like, I have no idea what that means. So <laughs> you could explain that. Yeah. So basically, if you well, I don't know as much about like sequence how how exactly the whole entire human genome was sequenced, but say if you have like some kind of um, sample from any kind of organism, let's just say in our case from some kind of human. Uh, tissue sample, and you extract RNA from that sample, then you can perform a library prep with that RNA, you'll end up, um, I don't know enough about this, I don't want to say the wrong thing, because I don't want someone to listen and be like, that is not correct. <laughs> so, so to kind of like, help a little bit, because you talked about kind of compare, comparing it against the actual human genome. So what I'm assuming is like the data files that you're collecting, you're just kind of comparing it to what's already existing within the library of, say, if it's like the database, and just kind of comparing to see what differences are there, what variations, or if they're like percent similarities, is that kind of along on the right track? So basically, yeah, when you align like a sequencing file to the human genome, your sequencing file just contains a huge amount of reads. And so each of these reads uh, line up somewhere along the human genome. Mm -hmm. And when you're 
aligning it, the aligner keeps track of where along the genome each of these reads lines up, and it can then figure out uh, which genes these reads belong to, um, and just keeps track of how many times each of those reads aligns to a certain gene. Um, so yeah, essentially it's just matching up each of the small reads to a point along the human genome, and then keeping track of that so that you can figure out where your reads align along the human genome. With that in mind, then, uh, with the work that you've done, what specific topics have you kind of been going over in terms of bioinformatics? Like, are you kind of sticking with your myotonic dystrophy work, or are you kind of going into some newer fields or newer, I guess, research topics? Most of my um, bioinformatics research focuses on myotonic dystrophy, but I've also recently been branching out a little bit into other trinucleotide repeat disorders, such as Huntington's disease. So yeah, Huntington's disease is also a repeat expansion disorder, it's just caused by a different repeat. But we see um, some similarities in changes in differential gene expression or alternative splicing among the two genetic disorders. So I've done a little bit of work branching into Huntington's to look at changes in gene expression and alternative splicing in that genetic disorder. To tie, kind of tie it all in, how would you say that your research has helped you in, I guess, not only your academic career, but kind of also in planning out your career path or perhaps like any sort of future projects that you'd like to do? So I think it's really like taught me how to connect what I've learned in my classes in undergrad and like the practical skills that I've learned being in a lab. So I find a lot of times there's a disconnect between like what you learn, say, in a lecture and then what you learn if you have some kind of lab experience. Um, sometimes it's hard to make that connection of how it's one is applicable to the other. I feel like having all this research experience, um, it really makes me stop and think about how, how the research that I'm doing connects with the biology that I've learned in my classes. And so I think it's really cool when you finally like have that connection, that like aha moment of, oh, I suddenly understand how this applies. It's a really cool feeling. I think that's definitely true because I know, especially like, like I, I can only really speak for my field. So mechanical engineering, we learn like what over hundreds and hundreds of equations. Um, and there's very few classes where we get real in lab experience where we're able to do the actual work and apply the knowledge that we've learned in lecture. And I also recently just picked up a research opportunity and I was already going over all the material with my lead and I I do agree that there is a disconnect. I think the fun part sometimes, maybe not all the time, is <laughs> being able to be like, oh wow, I understand what that equation means or I understand what that concept means and I can finally apply it in real life, not just, you know, write it down on a piece of paper and get an A or not on an exam. <laughs> So uh, with that being said, are there any other future projects that you kind of want to branch out into? What's like, what's next for you? I'd like to continue, obviously, with um, myotonic dystrophy research. And I, I focused a lot on the bioinformatics research lately. So I'm excited to expand my um, wet lab skills, actually performing more experience, experiments and um, learning more about that. Because yeah, at the moment, I, uh, most of my knowledge is in bioinformatics. So I'm excited to branch out and learn more of the well lab skills. So obviously, you're still doing it bioinformatics and you're teaching. How is that kind of culture of being surrounded not only just by high school students, but you mentioned that postdocs are also kind of in your classes as well? How, 
Because I know if I were in the position, I would be like, wow, I'm like teaching people who are technically smarter than me by degree um, stuff that they don't know a lot on. So I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you kind of feel about that? Like, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably thrilling for you just because, like, I get to teach something. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's definitely a hard balance. It's definitely intimidating because I know that these people have obviously a much are much more knowledgeable um, in terms of like basic science than I am. Um, so I feel sometimes, yeah, it's intimidating to know that like I have to teach them things because I, you know, I feel like obviously they know way more than me, but it's also cool to know like when they ask you questions about bioinformatics, you get to answer those questions and it's realized, oh, like I actually like know more than I thought I did. I like I, I guess I um, am knowledgeable in the area of bioinformatics. Do have something to offer? <laughs> I can't even. Im I mean, I'm not like I've taught like postdocs anything. Like I, I was an intern once, and I remember just sitting there and being like, "I okay, these people are just telling me that I learned everything wrong in school." And so I, that's why I asked the question. I was like, "I can't imagine having a PhD student breathing down my neck. Did I get the right answer?" And I'm like, "Wow, I am in so much power right now." <laughs> Uh, as we're kind of closing, I have second to last question to ask you. Uh, what so far has probably been the most exciting for uh, exciting thing for you in your research? I had the chance to to present my first research conference. It was an undergraduate research conference this past spring, and that was a really cool experience because I hadn't had a chance to present at a research symposium before. I was supposed to present at one a year prior to that, but it got canceled due to the pandemic. So it was really cool to finally get to um, present my research outside of my uh, the lab. Obviously, like I presented within the lab before, but I never really presented to an audience of an audience outside of um, that setting. So that was a really cool experience, just to share my research with others and see what people, what kind of questions people had or thoughts they had on it. And that's also one of the reasons that I love doing this podcast is because like there's so many of you guys especially like on our team I'm so proud of our team because they have so much amazing mm -hmm. research um, but just from the people that I've talked to there's like a lot of really cool stuff that they've done and you would never know it because I know that most people aren't going to be like hey so you do research tell me about it uh, <laughs> not a lot of people ask that I could definitely sense that it's probably super fulfilling for you to be like wow not only did I do something, but I was able to share it with other people. So on that note, this is my last question. What advice would you give to anyone hoping to either get into research or maybe they have trouble finding a topic that they want to do research in? I would say, so kind of two different answers to that. I would say for someone who's interested in getting into research, the main piece of advice I would give would be to don't be afraid to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up an experiment, do the wrong thing at some point, but that's how you learn. And most mentors are going to be accepting of that and know that you have to mess up a few times before you're going to be able to get it right. So don't be afraid. Your experiment's going to fail a million times before it works. So don't get discouraged. Keep going. And then for someone who doesn't know like what kind of research they want to get into, um, my advice would be to just go with something you're passionate about. Um, look into all the different labs that are um, accepting students, look at what they're researching, and just go with whatever is the most interesting thing to you. Because if you're not interested in the research, 
it's going to be a lot harder to find the motivation and the passion to want to continue with it. So if you find something that you're passionate about researching, you're going to want to put lots of time into it and you're not going to mind putting in those extra hours because it's something you're interested in. It's actually something that you want to find the answer to. So you're going to be motivated to keep looking for that answer. Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to submit research, join the team, or even be a part of the podcast, you can find all that information on our website on eruditenerge.org. That's E-R-U-D-I-T-E-N-U-R-J.org. Don't forget to give us a like or follow on our social media at eruditenerge on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Links to all of those can be found in the description below. Remember, we're here to help. Don't ever be afraid to get your work out there, because if they can do it, so can you. Be back next time for another episode of Erudite, the podcast.